2: Welcome, everybody. This is Mike here with you, and you're here with another episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. We are in hiatus right now, but we're still bringing you rebroadcasted content in a new form. And our bonus content this week centers around Killjoys. We're having a Killjoys interview mashup because the show is in its fifth and final season currently airing on sci-fi. And we figured we'd revisit the three different people we talked to from the show over the years. We talked to showrunner Michelle Lavretta in our second season of sci-fi fidelity. And we talked to Luke McFarlane and Hannah John common in season three of sci-fi fidelity. So this is basically content that still feels relevant even here in season five, we took some of the excerpts from the interviews that were more universal. Things about their enjoyment of being on the show, a little bit about their characters and that sort of thing. So we'll start off with a couple of clips from Michelle Lavretta and Luke McFarlane talking about how the show has overcome its small budget to do remarkable things.
3: Um, yeah, I, I want to touch just briefly on the world that you guys have been able to create because obviously sci-fi shows like dark matter, the expanse and Killjoys don't have these huge budgets on a week to week basis, but hell, you
4: say we have nothing but money
3: (laughs) every week. You just amaze me. And I think, I mean, certainly the, the realism of of the ships and things like that are really cool, but there have to be challenges associated with producing a show like this. Uh, are, Are there any cool, workarounds that you guys have done in the first three seasons you could talk about
1: it's like how did we get cheeky and kind of make a buck into 10
3: yes yeah exactly yeah
1: oh yeah that is i I will own that sir i will own the shit out of that that is something that is something that honest to god i swear maybe it's just my familiarity now with the tv machine and how long i've been at it but i find that shit fun and and honestly in my chair if you don't it will swallow you whole there is a challenge to every TV show. And that challenge is always time and money. I don't care how much of each you have. You never have enough of both together. So for us, the challenge is laid out on the table every year. We know it every year you have to do more with less because the audience expects more, but everybody's pay goes up slightly. Our days go down slightly. It's just the continual dance. And I think that the best stuff that we've done to address that is either looking at it head on and, having fun with it, which was kind of what prompted the genesis of this show for me. The idea of when I pitched or was talking about Lost Girl and when I was talking early development of Killjoys, in both cases, I said, listen, if you can't give me $1,100 million, give me sexy and give me funny. That is something that wasn't always an easy sell. You know, there were periods of time when you weren't allowed to do serialized storytelling in genre. It could only be anthologies or something, quote unquote, of the week. And they didn't want you to be too sexy. And God forbid you actually have a cheeky sense of humor because, you know, you should be full up nerd on it. And for me, I was—I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear?
2: Oh, yeah. Go for it.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Because I, I guess it's very hard for me to think and not swear. So my philosophy is generally kind of been fuck that. Like follow the fun. Follow the goddamn fun. That is the core of everything that I do. And for me, that is not contingent upon budgets. It's what I love about any season of Doctor Who. Every once in a while, I will get notes from, you know, an executive somewhere along the chain that they don't like the way something looked or a prop. And I'm like, God damn it. If my fellow genre fans are looking at the prop and not tuning in next week, A, they weren't genre fans and B, they don't get the joy of that that I do where it's kind of like a little chuck under the chin where you're like, look at that. They had two cents and they pulled off some fun. They pulled off uh, a romp and And I think you see a bit of that in every episode, but what I think beyond just those sort of thematic things that we've done is really concentrating on casting. I think that that is where we have done our best work. It is what I am most immensely grateful for and proud of, is the people that we bring in every week to show you these fun little worlds. In the end, yes, the wardrobing is amazing. I think the sets, especially Anila's ship this year, are bonkers good. But none of that matters if you don't give a shit about the people wearing the clothes and walking the sets. And I think because of our amazing actors, you do.
3: Now, you already mentioned the challenges of a tighter budget, and we already know that Killjoys is coming to a close. Mm -hmm. But while the writers might see that as an advantage for giving the story a proper ending, how has it changed the dynamic for you on set?
0: Well, one of the things that they did in order to sort of make the budget work is block shoot everything. So that means we shoot two episodes simultaneously, which is a challenge because you're constantly sort of going back between two scripts. So that's different. You know, you don't get the luxury of a chronology, which I think sometimes for an actor is really, really helpful. And, you know, like, I mean, it is so well-oiled. Like, we're always, we've always, we always been very good about finishing on time, but now, like, there's absolutely, we will not be going over. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have to finish the shot at this time because there's actually no money for overtime so in a way like for a show to have to face those financial challenges in the last season when it's pretty dialed in is not such a bad thing
2: yeah that's. Uh, I was hoping you would say that <laughs> because I think a lot of fans yeah. enjoy the ability to wrap up a story so that's good and I have one final question yeah
0: and and honestly I would say too and they always figure out a way to make it look really really good like yeah, Honestly, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that they always know where to spend the
2: money. Oh no, I totally agree. <laughs> um, just one last question, though: Were you ever surprised by something you saw on the screen later when the show aired that was different from what you thought it would be when you were on the set?
0: That's a really good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, early on, I can remember just being sort of. Uh, I'm trying to think of something more relevant, but early on, I literally remember. They had this great opening shot of Old Town and Westerly, and the camera comes flying through outer space and through this sort of low atmosphere and then down through the city. And there's an elevated train. And I remember thinking when we we're down on the streets in Old Town, we'd be like, oh, there's an elevated train above us. I did not know that. That's one example with the CGI stuff. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I'm always really amazed at is I'm always really – impressed with the quality of the makeup you know i wake up every morning i see hannah go into processing she's obviously a beautiful woman but the hair and makeup department are constantly blowing my mind with the quality of the work that they do on the show and again because our budget is so small they just work their tails off and um you know all Anila's looks and and stuff uh they've just done an incredible job
2: And I couldn't agree more with Luke's final statement there. Everyone did a great job on this show, and we're going to be sad to see it go. But our next set of excerpts is going to talk about Dutch and Davin. First, we're going to hear from Luke about what he would have enjoyed seeing between these two if he had the choice. And then Hannah herself is going to be talking a little bit about who she enjoyed playing more, Dutch or Anila, and whether she enjoys playing heroes or villains more, both in Killjoys and in her other work. Do you enjoy the subtlety with which the writers treat the relationship that Davin has with Dutch? And what would you wish to happen between them if you were a fan of the show?
0: It's You know, it's a really hard question and I've definitely like been frustrated at times and been like, what is the plan here? And I think for a myriad of reasons, it's very complicated. If I'm being totally honest. You know, there's, there's so many things that I think Taylor is really successful at and that is partly challenging this sort of idea about what, you know, an action adventure show can be and like having a female lead and, and what it means to be a sort of man in that world and not wanting it to be a, like, who's she going to pick and not wanting it to be a love triangle. And the fact that a man and a woman can be best friends and not lovers. So there's all these interesting things at play that I think sometimes always makes it a little bit challenging as the actor being like, well, then what is, Dutch and Gavin, and as far as what I want, I, I always want to serve the story best. I've I've been sometimes I'm like you know maybe Dutch should just like kill himself and then <laughs> Dutch and John can get together and they're like no 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 they're just friends. I'm like okay. So as far as like what I really want, I mean ultimately I want it to be best for the story and I want Gavin to actually and this is going to sound like a bit of a pop out answer but I really want him to be able to say what he wants from Dutch because so far he's never really said what he wants from her either which I think is part of the lack of maturity that both of them frankly as characters face. They don't really know how to ask somebody for help or for like real, like, relationship, affection, you know? It's all very compartmentalized. The friendship with Johnny is one thing. The sex with Gavin is another thing. And in a way, I think Gavin has a lot in common with Dutch in that regard. So I think, to try to sum it up, I I think what I want most for Gavin is to be able to say and articulate precisely to Dutch what it is he wants, which he's figuring out.
3: After playing such a badass hero in Dutch, some Killjoys viewers may have been taken a bit off guard by your portrayal of the villainous Anila, but now that you've got the antagonist finale Xandor from Ready Player One and the straight up villain Ghost and Ant-Man and the Wasp under your belt, everybody's dying to know what's more fun to play, a hero or a villain? Um, I'm actually
4: going to go for the villain, 100% you know, playing the protagonist is really fun. I mean, you you get, I mean, with Dutch, I I learn a lot from Dutch. I love playing the protagonist. But at the same time, I I think the lines cross over quite a lot of the time because the protagonists aren't always good. And you do bad things and you actually have the responsibility of being the good guy or the good girl, but doing the the wrong thing and and feeling the percussions of that. Whereas... When you're the antagonist, you're kind of you kind of know you're doing the bad thing, but you're kind of more selfish and desperate to get it. Um, so, actually, I, I have really thoroughly enjoyed playing, I'd say, in the of the villain in things because it's fun to try and persuade the audience that actually you're the good guy.
2: <laughs> and in that sense, I guess Anila and Dutch are a little bit of each.
4: And that is true. I mean, I mean, with, with Anila, she's always craved. That kind of, I mean, she had affliction from eating the wrong berry when she was young. You know, she was a daughter. She has got her father Klein and she was born into the world with a loving family. And she had that all taken away from her. And even though, you know, the green inside of her and the green that she is constantly consuming alienates her from society and what is human and what isn't. It doesn't make her a bad person. It just makes her have a goal into where she was at with the lady at the time. And I, I think it is wonderful that actually, you know, the audience and also it was an actor playing a character going against my characters I've loved so much you have to kind of start with the vulnerable. You have to start with the vulnerabilities of that character and try and kind of understand them in a way. So it's been really fun. It was really fun discovering who Anila was.
2: Yes, and of course, it's been such fun learning more and more about Anila as the seasons have gone on. And that interview was done early on in Anila's characterization, so... She's certainly changed over the past couple of seasons.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: But another character who has changed quite a bit that Dave wanted to talk a little bit more with Michelle about is Delsea Kendry, a great character that has gone through some changes, not only in season four, but here in season five, she's still true to her original conniving self. So let's first hear a little clip of Dave talking to Michelle about Delsea, and then we'll hear a little bit about whether Hannah John Common would enjoy playing Doctor Who.
3: Well, everybody loves Dutch, Johnny, and Davin, but for me, Dalsea Kendry has, I mean, I won't say she's come out of nowhere, but certainly from the periphery to become one of my favorite characters. So we know she's up to something with Anila. What can you tell us about Delcea?
1: Okay, so I can tell you I freaking love her. Um, I can tell you, I think part of what was fun about segwaying from Lost Girl and the Killjoys is there are certain archetypes of characters that I still get to play with or of relationship dynamics. Obviously, I loved Beau and Kenzie and their platonic love. I'm able to inject that and continue investigating that in Killjoys with Johnny and Dutch. Well, I also loved the Morrigan and I think that there's a bit of a parallel with Delphine. And what I love about those women is. To me, they're very morally gray. I know a lot of people want to paint them as cut and dried villains, and I'm not able to fully see that, I think because I know their complete backstories, and it gives me enormous empathy for them. I found that Delcea, aside from just being somebody I love to write, was a really useful tool for connecting the storyline of Dutch and Johnny to the storyline of Anila and the Holland. She is a conduit that allows us to keep both of those emotionally connected, and that's really of use to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned the Morgan. It's almost as if these characters—they want to be considered evil, but when push comes to shove, it's like, oh, grudgingly, it seems they're pointed to doing the right thing.
1: I feel like there's um, there's a lot of sass <laughs> to, to them in the way that they, you know, have, have a bit of joy with the mayhem that they wreak. But I think, particularly in Delphine's world. She was born into a certain role and she was raised much like Dutch was in a way that stepped upon her capacity for empathy. You know, Klein did that intentionally with Dutch because he wanted to prepare her for eventually possibly becoming Helen and surviving that transition in a way uh, that Anila wasn't capable of. But with Delce, it was done because basically her ancestors and therefore her parents knew, hey, don't bond with these people. Think of them as, as less or think of them as lower. Think of them as Wetchelins, because we're going to have to make good on this deal and sell them all down the river. And I think it really colored how she interacted with people and her inability to really bond. And I'm really interested in how – being freed of all of that, being able to leave the quad and those strictures behind, oddly has humanized Delsea a little bit as we go through, even as she has lost her humanity by being Helen. It's a really odd but interesting dynamic uh, and character immersion, I think.
3: Now, I've always thought you-know-who would make a great doctor. Hannah John Common. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, would you ever consider taking on the iconic role now that Jodie Whittaker has broken the gender barrier? And yes. Have fans ever brought that idea to your attention?
4: Oh, my goodness. You know what? I think that you're, you're, you're actually the first person to say it. And no. You know what? That's a really cool... No, you really are the first person I've had to say it. And, uh, that's really cool. And uh, uh, hell, yeah. Uh, Let's let's start tweeting the casting directors and see what they can do in the future. It'd be amazing. I'd love to.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, it wouldn't be surprising considering the sci fi body of work you've built. So uh, I just had to to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) And that was such a fun question to talk to Hannah about. And I love that she said, Hells yeah, in the same manner as what Dutch would say in Killjoy's when asked if she would enjoy playing the doctor. So that was a lot of fun. And we're going to end up with a couple of clips from each of our interviewees. First, we're going to start off with talking to Luke about how he, Luke McFarlane, influenced Davin's characterization as the years went along. What part of him ended up being in the character. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Hannah John Common's dance background, because, of course, that is part of her that ended up in the character in the form of the fight choreography that Dutch often had to engage in. And then we're going to end up with a couple of thoughts from Michelle about the dynamic between Davin and Johnny, the Jacoby brothers. Now we often hear about characters sort of becoming more developed as writers become familiar with the actors that are portraying them mm-hmm. so that they can actually write to your abilities. Sure. So what do you think has been your biggest influence on the character of Davin or his dynamic with the others? Like how is that reflected from Luke? Well, I think
0: you know that, that's probably a better question for the writers because, you know, I, I, I try not to wash myself too much because you don't want to get too self-conscious, but you know, I know something that we explored earlier on was, I'm kind of having more of a sense of humor as he moved on, uh, being a little bit more able to laugh at himself or a little bit kind of goofier, um, which is definitely a loop quality. I think the, the original Gavin is, I think, much more sort of focused and lean and mean and less, and less able to sort of laugh at himself. I also think there was like, uh, yeah, no, I guess humor is the really thing that kinda of pops into my head. If I sort of start rambling, I'll just start making stuff up. But yeah, I think
2: that, that I think that
0: was, that was definitely part of it. And I know that one thing that, you know, was obviously in the script, but finding the sense of play between Aaron and I as brothers is something that I've always enjoyed sort of exploring and Yeah.
2: Now I remember when I first saw the preview for Killjoys before it came out and it was just such an amazing assassin type sequence with Dutch in a long black coat and just really looking great and noticed at the time that you have extensive background in dance and so I sort of related those two things but now that you've got Ghost and Finale (laughs) under your belt also with some great fight sequences do you still do any dance training or has it kind of switched over to fight choreography these days as one of your expertises
4: well these days yeah these days is definitely fight choreography i mean i've definitely got my dance training and my background ingrained in me but definitely when it comes to all that stunt work i love it i love doing it i think it's important to do for myself because it really is an extension of my physicality of my character and i just love doing it i get such an adrenaline rush once i've you know kicked them off um (laughs) But, you know, I think definitely that dance training since I was three years old is is in there. But I do see dance choreography as a choreography. It is it is a dance, you know. You, you're going to fight, you, you dodge this minute, you turn around, you kick, you spin. You, it, it kind of is its own kind of dance choreography in its own right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess most, when I've been going from job to job to job, I think most of my time is spent, you know, when, when it's stunt heavy is kind of learning the choreography of the stunts and running the style of, of what the character is going to do as a fighting.
2: Just want to ask one last question about the brotherly relationship between Johnny and Davin. I mean, you get to show things like sibling rivalry, but also loyalty and, and family dynamics. Are there any favorite moments of the relationship between Johnny and Davin that can only be done with family like that?
1: I think my favorite moments that happen between John and Dav are really moments that happen between Luke and Aaron, because I know everything on the page, I've approved it, or I've polished it, or whatever, I'm I'm, I'm aware of where it's going, but when I get those dailies back, it usually comes down to expressions between those two guys, and the two that jump out to mind is, <laughs> one of them was when Luke said, my asshole's bigger than his asshole. This, the two—the looks between the two brothers was fabulous. They nailed it. And then there was another one that happened with John's line, I hope that's ribbed for our pleasure, in the middle of their torture. Um, and then the two brotherly looks that they had with each other were like, yeah, yeah, that, that was a good line. You you nailed it, bro. Like, there's, there's stuff about them. And they spend so much time together, even offset, set, uh, the three of them, that they really do, I think, just naturally have those little family tells when you're watching it on camera you see it in their performance so th- those are those are kind of my favorite just the surprises they bring
2: well that's for sure and it definitely shows thank you, <laughs> thank you michelle
1: thank you guys i really appreciate it and, and thanks to all of our fans
2: all right i had such a great amount of fun revisiting these moments from the interviews these were among my favorite we've ever done and i hope you enjoyed listening to them too And if you're enjoying Killjoy Season 5, or even if you're not, it's just fun to hear some of our creative talent behind the shows that we love talking about, you know, what goes into making them so great and why we love revisiting with these characters again and again. So that's going to be it for this week. But we do have another topic coming up that I hope you will enjoy. It's a rerun of a discussion topic that we had during Season 1. In fact, it was one of our first discussion topics may have been the first discussion topic that we did as a super six, which of course, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that that's the formula we're currently using now for our discussion topics where Dave and I each pick three things that are exemplars of whatever the topic it is that we're discussing. So that first topic was spaceship characters, our favorite spaceships in science fiction that actually acted as characters unto themselves a great discussion topic that I think you'll have fun revisiting. So that's going to be next week, but that's it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at sci-fi fidelity. In the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it, and be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics once we get back in Season 5. You can do that on social media or in an email to scififidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week with another bonus episode.